our theme on Sunday evenings is in the form of a question. The Christ of Christmas. What's it all about? Hark the glad sound. The Saviour comes. The Saviour promised long. Last week we discovered that Jesus is the promised Saviour. And this evening the second verse of Philip Doddridge's hymn declares this. He comes the prisoners to release in Satan's bondage held. The gates of brass before him burst, the iron fetters yield. So that's the second verse of this Christmas hymn that we're using to answer that question. Why is Christ at the heart of Christmas? Well, here's the second reason. Jesus sets us free from the captivity of sin. In Luke chapter 4, you find Jesus in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And he's asked to read from the scriptures. And they give him the scroll which contains the words of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus turns to that section, which in our modern Bibles is chapter 61, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's what we were thinking about last week uh, in, uh, in the morning service that Jesus is a preacher. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Proclaiming liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. That's a very stark and striking image, isn't it? Someone captive, someone blind. Do you remember the old, the old Testament story of Samson? Once he'd finally been robbed of his strength and the Philistines had managed to get their hands on him, what did they do to him? How do you hold someone and restrain them when they have such a fearsome reputation? How would you uh, disable him and disarm him to try and make sure that he can never escape? And even if he does... He'll never be the threat that he used to be. Well, the Philistines had this answer. You gouge out his eyes, you put him in chains, and you lock him up securely in prison. Only in the comic book world of fiction can someone with no sight be a superhero who can fight like a warrior. So there is Samson, blinded, bound, and imprisoned. 
that really is hitting rock bottom, isn't it? You probably couldn't have made him feel any more captive than he was in that situation and in that condition. Or what about the plight of Israel over a thousand years before the time of Samson? There was an, an entire nation held in captivity as slaves. Many were born into that slavery and had known nothing else. They were at the mercy of their masters, the Egyptians, and had no choice but to do what they were forced to do. They were under a great tyranny, exploited, abused and oppressed. Not the situation that Samson found himself in, but still an awful form of captivity. Well, keep those two images in your mind, and that's how the Bible describes all of humanity in their sin. Many think that they have great freedom. Our cousins across the pond declare themselves to be the land of the free in the anthem that they sing. But the truth is that every single one of us is held captive in our sinful nature, and we're pictured in the Bible as being blind, bound, imprisoned slaves. Well, in what way exactly are we held captive by sin? Well, first of all, we're held captive in sin and unrighteousness. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. Not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practised deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. With their tongues, uh, with whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in chapter 6 of Romans, where Paul is addressing Christian believers, he speaks of them before their conversion as having been slaves of sin and under sin's dominion. So that description that Paul gives in Romans chapter 3 that we've just read we are held and bound like that in our sin before God. That is the state of our soul and our nature and our character as sinful people. And we're held there. And so Paul addresses the, Rome, the, the Romans in chapter 6, speaking of them before their conversion as having been slaves of sin and under sin's, under sin's dominion. But now as, following as 
followers of Christ, that is something from which they've been delivered and set free. And this captivity is something which lies at the very heart of us. There are things about our nature which naturally rebel against God and his truth and his ways. So we read in Ephesians chapter 2, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like everyone else. And in Romans 8, Paul will say the carnal mind, the, the natural sinful mind that we're born with, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. The proof of this is all around us. No one has to be taught how to lie or how to cheat or to break a promise, or to be unfaithful or disloyal, or to be jealous or envious, or to covet, or to be unforgiving and harbour grudges, or even to be a gossip. When did anyone have to have someone else sit them down and explain to them, this is what lying is, this is what cheating is, this is what jealousy is, this is what bad language is. This is what sexual immorality is. And this is how you do it. No one has ever had to go to the school of sinning to learn that stuff. It's in you. From out of your heart, all these things come, said Jesus in Matthew chapter 15. And one of the striking messages that comes across in the Bible is that this captivity, this slavery, this dominion in which all men and women find themselves is something from which they cannot free themselves. You only have to look at the state of the world. You only have to read your history books to see that this is something that we've never been able to free ourselves from. Indeed, in our own day, we're just making ourselves more and more comfortable in our sins right now. And just as Paul explains it in Romans chapter 2, God has given us over to our sins in many nations in the world today. There is a sense in which we cannot help ourselves. This is our nature to be like this. But the Bible makes it clear that doesn't excuse us. It doesn't let us off the hook. We know we are guilty. We know that we are responsible for our guilt. We know in our conscience that we're accountable to God for our sin, even though we cannot help but keep on sinning. Our conscience tells us all the time. In our sinful nature, we really are held captive and in slavery. But how did this happen? 
How did we get there? Well, the Bible has an answer. The Bible tells us, secondly, that we are born captive in sin and unrighteousness. David, in two of the Psalms, makes this abundantly clear. In Psalm 51, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So even while he was still forming in the womb, he acknowledges that he had a sinful heart and a sinful nature, even there. And then he goes on to say in Psalm 58, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. It's just in them and out it comes. In many ways, Paul's letter to the Romans is the, the centerpiece of gospel doctrine in Paul's writings. That's why I'm quoting from it so many times this evening. And it's, it's very often the go-to book to have these particular truths revealed and explained for us. And it's in chapter 5 that we learn that in the same way that we know and understand today that there can be certain physical diseases or abnormalities which can be inherited from physical parents, we have this spiritual condition which is a condition that we have inherited from Adam ever since he fell into sin. We don't become sinful by committing sins. We commit sins because we are sinful. Every one of us born with this sinful nature. This is why there is no hope for any of us outside of Christ. This is why you shouldn't be surprised at the sin that surrounds us and abounds in the world today. There's been a very radical shift in ethics and morality in our own society, hasn't there, over the last few decades. And whilst it should certainly sadden us and grieve us, I can't understand why any Christians would be surprised by it and wondering, where's it all come from? The answer is, it's always been there. Now it is true that under God's grace we enjoyed some years in the UK when such sinfulness as we see today, it was never quite so public. It was never so openly tolerated. And certainly successive governments would never have dreamed of legalising it or promoting it. But it's always been there. Men and women cannot better themselves in these things. As you read through Paul's different letters in the New Testament, you'll occasionally come across these lists of sins that he, he puts down in writing. And everything that he was talking about then is what we see all around us today. There's nothing new. The one thing that we do have today, I suppose, which previous generations didn't, is various technologies and medical abilities which allow people 
to take certain things to greater extremes. That renowned and blessed young Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, famously said, Every sin known to man is in my heart. Why did he say that? It's because he understood and believed the Bible. We have a sinful nature which is common to us all. No one is born slightly more or slightly less sinful than their neighbour. Now, under God's gracious providence, we don't all display our sinfulness to the same extent or degree, but it's amazing how little it can take to stir it up within us. So a few protesters take to the streets and almost out of nowhere, it becomes a violent mob of thousands. How often have you seen things like that on the news bulletins? Just last month, a former school head teacher, a stalwart of society, surely. He was jailed for a minimum of 31 years for murdering his ex-wife and her new partner. Who'd have seen that coming 10, 20 years ago in his blossoming career and reputation? but it was in there to do it. The shouts of Hosanna, which greeted Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, turned into crucify him in less than a week. What is the explanation for these things? It's this, every one of us is born a captive to sin and unrighteousness and it lurks deep within our hearts and in our soul. And Jesus said, I have come to set you free. So this is our third and final point. You can be set free in Christ. And this is wonderful news, but how is it done? Well, it's something I've mentioned several times throughout the course of this year, but it deserves to be said again and it needs to be repeated often. Sinners are set free from sin by means of their union with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Sinners are set free from sin by means of their union with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Listen again carefully to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. As many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And that newness of life is one set free 
from the captivity of sin. Paul continues, knowing this, that our old sinful self was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. The other week, one of the main items on the news was that Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, had died. That was the only way he was ever going to leave his prison cell. Death was his only escape. And there's a kind of spiritual parallel here. The only way you can be released from the captivity of your sinful nature is by dying to it. And Christ's death was a substitutionary death. He died your death in your place. But more than that, God the Father sees you as united to Christ and with Christ in his death so that you died there with him. The death that you need to die in order to be released from your captivity, you have died in Christ if you are a Christian and you've been raised to newness of life with him in his resurrection. So that's how Paul can write these great words. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't present your members as instruments of, righteous, of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and as instruments of righteousness to God. That death, has set you free and secured your release. Sin shall not have dominion over you, not anymore, because of all that you have in Christ. God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In closing, let me remind you of the words of the Saviour himself in John chapter 8. Jesus says, To those who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants 
we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus said, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Free from the dominion and power of sin, which hold, it holds you captive, from which you are unable to escape unless you have Christ. Set free because in Christ you are pardoned and forgiven. Set free from guilt and a guilty conscience. Free from having to conform to the sinful and wicked patterns of the world. Set free to now live as God would have you live. Because now it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. And that old dominion of sin is broken. The life which you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You're free from condemnation on the day of judgment at the second coming of Christ because your sin penalty has already been paid in full by Christ on the cross. Because of that, the Christian is set free from the wrath of God. It's already fallen on Christ on, in, on your behalf. You're free now to enter into God's eternal presence because your heavenly Father now sees you as clothed with the righteousness of his own Son. And that means that you've been set free from the fear of death. And if you can cast your mind back to our series through Galatians not very long ago, you'll also remember that we see in the Bible that some are held captive under the tyranny of thinking that that they can somehow earn or merit their own, their own salvation by some form of law-keeping or by ticking off a long list of rites and rituals and duties and da-da-da-da-da. And it dominates and rules their life like some great burden that's been placed upon them that they'll never get to the end to. No such salvation or acceptance with God can ever be achieved. And Christ sets you free from that sort of captivity as well. There's a famous verse in Matthew chapter 16. It's Jesus speaking. He's speaking to Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The gates of an ancient walled city would open and out would thunder that citadel's great army to see off an aggressor. Hell can summon all of its might and strength against the Lord Jesus Christ, but it will not prevail against him and he will build his church and they will not stop him. And how does Jesus build his church? He does so by ransacking the stronghold of Satan and setting its prisoners free from the captivity of their sins. The gospel of Christ is a wholesale assault upon Satan and all of his schemes and snatching those who are lost and condemned to freedom and forgiveness. And the gates of hell 
shall not, cannot prevail against it. Christ is the great liberator of sinners and there's nothing that hell or Satan can do to stop him. The gates of hell will not prevent Christ from bursting through and setting free those who are held captive. We're born held captive in sin and unrighteousness and condemnation. Jesus has come into the world to set the captive free. Confess yourself to be the sinner that you are. Flee from your sins and run to Christ. Believe on him. Trust him. Love him. Commit your whole self to him as Saviour and Lord. If you do, this will be your experience and your testimony. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. God's eye sent down a life-giving ray and I woke and my dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free and I rose, went forth and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own.